Welcome to Lethal Dose, your favorite toxicology-focused podcast where we delve into true crime cases involving drugs and poisons. My name is Venus Dineko. I'm a layperson fascinated by true crime. My name is Kayla Woods. I'm an author and toxicologist. Let's get started. Happy New Year. Welcome to season three, bitches. Hey. We'd love to see it. Yeah, thank you for joining us on our first year in two seasons of Lethal Dose. And now we're back and it's going to be fucking sick. I am really excited for what Kayla has in store for our listening pleasure. (laughs) So without further ado, content warnings for this episode Crimes against Indigenous people and sex workers, brief-ish mentions of sexual assault, and detailed discussion of alcohol abuse. Mm -hmm. We are covering ethanol today, and I thought this would be appropriate because maybe you've just made a New Year's resolution that you're going to drink less because you partied hard at Christmas and New Year's, and I think Alka-Seltzer actually does like a huge promo, kind of like Uber does on January 1st, that they're like, we know what you need right now. It seemed relevant to do ethanol because ethanol is just drinking alcohol. And if you go to the chemistry hall of a university and there's something like, get to know the professors, and there's a question that's like, what's your favorite chemical? Without fail, like three-fourths of the professors will say ethanol. Really? Yeah. And I mean, it's kind of I like, mean, because oh, they're ha-ha. just being tongue-in-cheek. Yeah. yeah. But it's also like, that's literally everybody else's answer so like say something else (laughs) right and so with alcohol or ethanol which should we refer to it as so for the introduction I will talk a little bit about alcohol like in general to just be like just so you Mm. know alcohol means a couple different things but then after that we'll just be referring to alcohol ethanol as alcohol just for simplicity's sake Perfect. Yeah. So what are the different types? Is that a good kind of place to start? So the alcohol we're talking about today is just drinking alcohol. And we have mentioned methanol briefly, actually Mm. in relation to drinking alcohol in the Michael Malloy Patreon episode. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. people are welcome to go give that a listen again. But we're not talking about methanol today. We're just talking about ethanol. An alcohol is just a compound with an alcohol group, which is an OH group. And OH can also be hydroxide and also can like deal with acid-base chemistry. And so that could be a lot of things. Anything with an OH group, that's like a lot of things. And the basic ones are named in the same order that any basic organic compound will be named. And so organic just means that it only deals with carbon, hydrogen, or oxygen. It's an entire Mm. chemistry class, and it nearly killed me in undergrad. It's very difficult. I'm glad that it didn't. (laughs) Me too. Very glad that it didn't. I was glad to be out of it. And then for some reason, I decided to do organic chemistry research because I didn't know any of the other chemistry professors because I just went through two grueling semesters of OCHEM. And my professor was like, you're doing very well in this lab. And I was like, yeah, I didn't do very well in the class. And he like laughed but didn't say anything else. (laughs) Just, ha ha, ha ha, ha ha. Yeah, but it's fine. It's fine. No hard feelings. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Everything's fine. But all basic organic chemicals are named in essentially the same way. So they're named based on the number of carbons that they have. 
And so oh, okay. they're named with a mnemonic device, Mary eats peanut butter, methyl, ethyl, propyl, butyl. So you have okay. methanol is the simplest one, ethanol, propanol, butanol. Methanol becomes methanol, which is the simplest aldehyde. It becomes formaldehyde and methanoic mm. acid, methanoic acid or formic acid, which are very simple acids in the human body. And the formation of these byproducts is what leads to the blindness and death that's associated with methanol, which again, we talked about in Michael Malloy. My... Mm -hmm. We might talk about it in a future main channel episode, but it's not so much what we're talking about today. Got it. Ethanol doesn't do this because it's a different compound and so it reacts in the body in different ways. Propanol should also sound familiar or mm -hmm. will sound familiar if we name it with a different naming technique because there's a bunch of really like classist really naming techniques for chemistry. Mm. It really was because the white guys were like, oh, women and other people are learning how to name our chemicals and they know what we're talking about. So there's like stupid ways to name chemicals. Got it. So the other way that you can name propanol is isopropyl alcohol. And that oh, should sound familiar. It does. <laughs> yeah, I I use it to clean lots yeah, of things. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Butanol is usually used as fuel, like my camp fuels, the ones that I get and I can hook up to my tiny stove. They're mm -hmm. a mixture of different alcohols, including butanol. And then Got it. from there, it can just get more and more complex the more carbons that you add. So it's like trees out? It's so not necessarily speak? trees. The isopropyl for propanol does refer to kind of a tree form, but it's more like a zigzag, zigzag, zigzag. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So it's just chains kind of that you're adding. Okay. And for every carbon that you add, you get two hydrogens unless it's an end carbon and then it gets three. So pretty simple chemistry type stuff. <laughs> simple for maybe people who have their master's in chemistry but i'm just like it's blink lot, blink is it's a lot easier too <laughs> if we were doing it say as a, a microdose and i could show you and we could have mm. video so mm -hmm. people can go look it up but really it's just carbons and then you fill them with hydrogens as necessary and okay. then one of your hydrogens you can replace with an alcohol or with an aldehyde group to make it a, you know formaldehyde the formaldehyde it's okay. actually all pretty simple at the basics we do make it much sure. more complex and nature makes it much more complex from there sure. but yeah so that's what alcohols are. All right. Well, yeah. that's great. And so we're going to be on the Mary Eats, the ethanol. Yep. And I was not expecting this episode to go this way when I first was like, hey, let's open up the new year with ethanol because it seems just relevant. Because everybody's going to be hungover. Right. I was like, we're probably going to do some sort of like fraternity hazing type thing. Mm -hmm. But when I was doing the research, I came across a serial killer who uses alcohol Ooh. on his <gasps> victims and then it became the story that you'll hear today which i was not expecting at all but i think it's an important story to tell well i i have not heard of this serial killer who kills with alcohol yeah i don't think this a whole is lot new of have yeah i oh, love to hear i mean <laughs> because i mean for true crime aficionados there comes a point where it's like okay everybody knows Gacy everybody knows Bundy everybody knows Manson like and there's a lot of crimes and killers that just kind of get recycled and rehashed over and over again mm -hmm. so I love it when you bring all these fun cases that are new well thank you I love the shiny new smell of this <laughs> case <laughs> Gilbert Paul Jordan was a Canadian barber who was an alcoholic and claimed his habit started when he was only 16. Normally, I would have sympathy for that. You know, he said that he consumed 50 ounces of vodka a day, which is 
a lot. And this was by the mm. time he was taken to court in 1988. So he'd been drinking for a while. And that's how he earned his moniker of the boozing barber. His criminal record began far earlier than his first court appearance for this trial in 1988. As far back as 1952, Gilbert had arrests for crimes related to his drinking, such as drunk driving, but he also had convictions for rape, indecent assault, abduction, hit and run, and car theft. His problems went far beyond the substance abuse that maybe mm. I could find sympathy for. Sure. And he always found himself back in a bar after every time he was released for one of his various crimes. There are byproducts of addiction, mm -hmm. but this is a lot. And yeah. so I suppose before we get too far into the case, I'd just like to acknowledge a couple things here. Mm -hmm. Addiction is very fucking hard. Mm -hmm. Recovery phenomenally hard and some people don't even ever make it to that point to even think about recovery mm -hmm. and it's also not linear it's also on a zigzag mm -hmm. three steps forward 17 steps back sometimes right yeah however there is a spectrum just like there is with most things right. and while I do have sympathy for people who struggle with alcohol abuse mm -hmm. and quitting when you're rapey, yeah, I, I lose some sympathy. So like, I want to acknowledge addiction is a fucking nightmare. Mm -hmm. Recovery is hard, but not an excuse to be a rapey criminal. <laughs> and we can extend the same sort of understanding to the victims because this will very much play into the victimology and mm. it will play into why maybe we haven't heard of this case before. I will yeah. keep that in mind as we go on. And I mean, of course, Gilbert Jordan was his last name. Wanted people to feel bad for him and wanted people to not seem as such a bad guy. And so mm. he would say, sober people didn't want to go out with me. I didn't have much of an option but after I would get out to end up at the bar. But I think it's that he wanted to prey on the impaired judgment of the drunk people around him so they wouldn't mm. see him for what he was. Because he was a misogynist, a racist, and a danger to those around him. As somebody who can't drink for medical reasons, I'm often the sober fly on the wall at mm -hmm. bars. Mm -hmm. And I know exactly what you're talking about because I've even heard men say like, literally like, oh, they're more pliable when they've had some more drinks, Ugh. right? Big yikes, Ugh. big yikes. There's going to be some yikes in this one, guys. There, like, yes. There there's a lot be. of yikes. And so when you're wanting that and then you come across somebody like me, I'm going to see you for who you are. Yeah. And I'm going to trust you when you show me who you are. And so <laughs> when I see you talking to some women who are a little tipsy, faded, mm -hmm. blackout drunk, I am going to be a judgy bitch and have a problem <laughs> with you, Jordan. Of course, crimes do tend to escalate. And so- he ended up in court in 1988, but he started where he was going to start and establishing his pattern and his victimology in 1961. In 1961, he kidnapped a five-year-old Aboriginal girl, and this was the start of him beginning a victimology of targeting Indigenous Canadian women and girls specifically. No. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Now, the girl was soon found in Jordan's car, not far from the reservation, from which she was kidnapped. And so I think she was oh. okay. Okay. Well, if, yeah. I mean, maybe a little traumatized, but nothing. From, from being kidnapped. Right. But she was alive. Right. But 
Jordan was never tried for this incident, and this could be because of issues with Canada's court system, or it was possibly because of specific issues with the court system's treatments of crimes against Indigenous peoples, which is kind of where I'm leaning. That's kind of what I think happened here. Yeah. I mean, I am not familiar with this case, really. Mm-hmm. But my suspicion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Either way, a stay of proceedings ended the trial. Later that same year, Jordan was found on the Lionsgate Bridge in Vancouver, holding up traffic and threatening to jump. So he's got some issues. We have already covered that. He's got issues. But mm-hmm. again, he garners no sympathy from us because at the trial for this incident, he was charged with contempt after giving the judge a Nazi salute. <gasps> what? Oh, so, this is a hard ride into like <laughs> white supremacy. <laughs> Yeah. Now, like... So here's the character we're dealing with. <laughs> well, yeah. And especially, and then to do it in open court is like the balls on this guy. <laughs> in 1965, it is believed he murdered for the first time. The woman was a switchboard operator named Ivy Rose, whose nude body was found in a hotel room on the east side of Vancouver. Jordan was never charged for her death which was considered accidental despite the fact that her blood alcohol content was a 0.51. That's a lot of booze. Mm-hmm. Like, a lot, a lot. People yeah. might be listening and be like, well, why would he be charged for her death if her blood alcohol was so high? She got blackout drunk. And that's probably what they thought in 1965. This woman was a switchboard operator. I don't know that she was doing anything on the side to support herself, but that is where the cops will start to, like, blame victims as, oh, they were sex workers, even if they weren't, which I don't know that this woman was, but she was on the east side of Vancouver, and that is not a very well-regarded part of Vancouver, is my understanding. And so finding a woman who's dead and blackout drunk, they're just like, oh, well, she made mistakes. And of course, murder was not suspected at the time. I cannot abide how many sex workers die Mm -hmm. and get zero help, like zero investigation. They do not see justice. The cops are literally like, why would we waste our time? And that is such a fucking tragedy. And so I have no doubt that they looked at this as accidental. And I have no doubt that they're like, they almost like put salt in the wound to, to do the whole, like they deserved it. She deserved it. But I do kind of want to touch on the numbers for a little bit. So her blood alcohol content was 0.51, which I, as a lay person know that that is a fuck ton because my understanding, and again, I'm not a professional anything <laughs> but the legal limit is around like 0. 0.7 or 0. 0.8 point oh eight point right mm-hmm. right right so 0. <laughs> 0.08 is acceptable so like if you have a cocktail wine beer dinner whatever mm-hmm. but blackout drunk my understanding previously is kind of around this mark of like 0. 0.17 to like 0. 0.20 mm-hmm. is that somewhat right yeah, somewhere somewhere around there, yes. So the numbers that I have are that the legal limit, as you said, in the United States for driving under the influence is 0.08. And that means 0.08% of your blood is alcohol. That's what blood alcohol that's, content Oh, it literally is. means it. it. That's literally what it means. Right. Okay. And so that's the limit because around there, 
up to 0.1% actually, a person will have impaired judgment and impaired motor skills, but they'll still be talkative and they'll still be conscious of what's happening around them, even if their reaction times to things are impaired. Mm -hmm. After that point, the person will begin to experience slurred speech, staggering, nausea, and vomiting. Beyond 0.3%, they can experience a lack of voluntary response to stimulation and can actually become hypo or hyperthermic. Between 0.4 and 0.6, where Rose was found, the person would be comatose. A blood alcohol between 0.6 and 0.9 has easily led to death from impaired breathing and heart function. Because it's a depressant, yes. right? Mm -hmm. Meaning it depresses mm -hmm. all of the systems that it's affecting. Yeah, namely the central nervous system, yeah. Right. And so, yeah, she was fucked up. And where I'm starting to get a little curious about Jordan as a killer is like, is alcoholic death like uh, a symptom of him just trying to like get somebody drunk to rape them? Or is he like, I guess we'll find out. But like, yeah. it sounds like he's making them consume a lot of alcohol because people don't just get to mm -hmm. 0.51. Because if you're blacking out around like 0.2 and 0.3, how are you drinking enough to continue? Well, and blackout drunk too isn't you passing out. It's you not having a short-term memory anymore. Very good point. Very good point because you're still, you could still be drinking. Like I see it in my friend group at bars. You know, like probably shouldn't be like having that one. And you're not going to remember that you did three more shots. So yeah, that's, that is a good point to bring up. I just, I can already tell that there's something very fishy going on <laughs> with how high that is. Well, and the police don't because they are used to seeing alcoholics drink themselves to death, which um, is sadly not an uncommon sight to see on the beat or in a coroner's office or in a hospital, right? Sadly, yes. So this first one didn't necessarily draw the suspicion that I will definitely be shaking my finger and being like, absolutely what the fuck to the police later about. I mean, I already know that if sex workers were involved and indigenous women were involved, that this is bad news. Yeah. Yeah. I already know. <laughs> yeah. Things aren't exactly uh, going to get better from here <laughs> after Ivy Rose's death. No. Like After the kidnapping of the little girl, it all just gets so much worse. Yeah. Which it, it's hard to think about how things are getting worse from kidnapping a five-year-old girl. Yeah. But anyway. <laughs> okay. So anyway. How much alcohol are we talking that somebody has to consume to get to this point? It depends on the person. So makes sense. Okay. For, for a naive system, a system that doesn't drink or that doesn't have to metabolize alcohol very often and hasn't adapted to large amounts of alcohol, it would only take about one to four drinks per hour to get to the legal limit. And a drink is actually defined if you go anywhere online looking for either like what does alcohol poisoning look like? I think I have an alcohol problem because then they mm -hmm. assess you for binge drinking. Mm -hmm. A drink in that field, at least in the United States, is defined as 12 ounces of beer, which again is variable in alcohol content, but a quote unquote normal beer, mm -hmm. eight ounces of malt liquor, five ounces of wine, or 1.5 ounces of hard liquor. So 40 proof alcohol at that point. Gotcha. That's more like vodka's tequila's like yes. that mm -hmm. kind of thing. Okay. To get to the point of coma in a naive drinker, it would take around 20 drinks, which is approximately 13 shots of hard liquor, which 
was Jordan's drink or poison of choice. We will find that later. Vodka was his drink of choice. It was also his poison against others. For more experienced drinkers, for people who maybe drink more socially, or for people who do binge drink, or even for alcoholics, it's a little difference. I myself know that a single half glass of wine gets me to the legal limit. I don't know that because I've breathalyzed myself. I know that because I've been there where I've been like, oh, motor skills are impaired now. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's all based on weight and genetics. I'm a small person. Sure. But it's also based on a built-up tolerance, which we've all probably seen when we know people who can drink, like, a whole 12-pack of beer to themselves or something. And they're fine. Like, and they're fine. Like, and I have a beer and a, or a fucking kombucha. Like, let's be real. <laughs> right. And I'm like, like, <laughs> like, I'm getting flushed. And right. Like, and the reason they can do that is because they have a built up tolerance caused by an activation of ethanol metabolizing liver enzymes. So their liver is specifically being like enhanced by this introduction of alcohol to it consistently interesting so that it can deal with it better that makes sense too with my porphyria because i'm missing an enzyme that mm. breaks down toxins so makes that's sense. why i get even more because yeah. it's just like yeah we're not breaking that down at all right. like at all at all but they get new enzymes yeah. that are like hey we're here to do this specific job just for you exactly because you love keystone light <laughs> Exactly. And one study on these enzymes actually found that daily drinking for a single month could increase the rate of elimination by activation of these enzymes by as much as 72%. So does that mean that it's more efficiently getting rid of the alcohol in your system? Yes. Because you've increased it. And so now there's all these like warrior enzymes that are like booze hounds. Yeah. And so they make it to where you can drink like nine-ish mm -hmm. mm -hmm. more beers. Yeah. Basically. Ooh, and that's in a month, you said? Within a month. All it would take is a month of daily drinking. And it didn't say how much. It didn't say how many drinks. Just, well, but your body's getting used to mm -hmm. like having those guys show up to work. When your exactly. liver fires up for the day, like those guys were on leave until you started <laughs> drinking every day. And they're like, hey, we need you to come in. Yeah. We're drinking again. I, exactly. I need you to get rid of this. And so that can escalate really quickly. Very quickly. We are actually very sensitive to ethanol. We're sensitive to methanol and that shows up, shows up with how easy it is to poison ourselves and go blind with it. But right. we are actually extremely sensitive to ethanol as well. Oh, that's so interesting to me. That's mm -hmm. so interesting. <laughs> with having friends and family members who've struggled with addiction and mm -hmm. just when you see how quickly something can take over somebody's life, yeah. or how quickly one relapse can knock you off the wagon. Like it, I don't know. It just is making me feel even more compassionate knowing the science behind that, I guess. Yeah. Totally. But not for Jordan. <laughs> no, he made too many personal decisions that make me think this isn't the worst of your problems. <laughs> right. Right. Okay. okay. But that and was I all good info. Well, and I also want to point out with that, that I said, you know, it would take 13 shots in like an hour to get to that level if you're a naive drinker. But it should be noted that if you're not taking them in a single bolus, if you're not just doing shot, 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 shots, mm. one after another in an hour, it's hard to tell where you are on the uptake. Because if you take one drink, your body starts to create this arc where you go up and then you peak out 
wherever you can peak out because of the amount of alcohol you took and then you start to come down so it's a hill it's it's mm, like a bell mm -hmm. curve right yeah 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 yeah. if you're going up and then you start to metabolize and you take another drink and you go up and then you start to metabolize and you take another drink uh, it's going to look different and so yes it yeah. could take 13 shots maybe it will take more and somebody who's you know an experienced drinker it's definitely going to take more but the interesting thing with blood alcohol is because of the liver enzymes that make it so that you're eliminating faster, you're going to have the same amount of alcohol content in your blood that is an accurate representation of intoxication, mm -hmm. no matter your experience level. Okay. So let me think about that. The more you drink, even if your body's processing it quicker, because you're a seasoned drinker, it's still taking up the same volume, whether you're naive or experienced. It's still going to be the same amount of actual alcohol in your in blood. Your, it's still going to be the, the blood alcohol content. So then I guess to take it a step further, does that mean that if somebody who's an experienced drinker, mm -hmm. even though they can drink five more drinks, like they're still not okay to drive legally? Right. Like So like they would be ha having their shit together, but I would be sloppy drunk. Yes. And so if, gotcha. if I have my half glass of wine and I'm like, well, can't mm -hmm. drive. And then a more experienced drinker has the entire rest of the bottle. It might still only get the both of us, that small amount and that large amount might still get the both of us to the 0.08 level, even though it took much more for them to get to 0.08 than for me to. Gotcha. Another thing to point out, especially when we get into the numbers that I'll bring up later, is because we're talking decedents and people who have died, I guess that I can speak to this as well. It's much harder to get an accurate representation of blood alcohol content in somebody who is dead because of mm. the up and then down that you get with blood alcohol. So you're going to go up and maybe you're going to pass 0.08, but at some point, you know, 0.08 is going to be there on the way up if you're drinking like a lot. And then if you passed it on the way up, you're going to pass it again on the way down. And so if you die before reaching the peak, we don't necessarily know how much you drank if all that we can see is this point in time. And if you die after reaching the peak, we don't know how much you drank because all we can see is this point in time on the other side of the curve. Because you've already metabolized it. Yes. And so with living gotcha. people, you can take a point and then an hour later take a point and then an hour later take a point and you can You, you know, can get an see estimate. the increase or decrease. Yeah. Right? But with a dead person, all you have is a single point in time. Oh, that's so interesting. Because I imagine that's important. Mm -hmm. It can be. I mean, because then it's one of those things like, did they die because they drank themselves to death or did something else happen? Mm -hmm. And when you only get that snapshot, mm -hmm. like we're going out to the clubs for the weekend. And so we're like pre-gaming it. Then we're going to the club and another club, bus, another club. <laughs> like, right, right. Right. So yeah. we're doing that, but then I die. We might not realize that I, I drank my fucking socks yeah. off from 8 p.m. to 11 p.m. But if I die at two in the morning, it yeah. might look like I drank less than I actually did. Is that exactly. what I'm hearing? Exactly. Gotcha. Yep. Okay. Interesting. What about hair though? I don't think you can get a good analysis of alcohol and hair because it's a volatile compound. Interesting. There are other substances that do stay in your hair though, right? Yes. Your girl's got a record and I used to have to get drug tests done and they chose to do hair because uh -huh. I wasn't doing them frequently. Like there are some people who had to get drug tests done every day when I was doing mine once a month and with my quote unquote drug substance of choice, whatever cannabis, mm -hmm. it stays in your And so they could see because I have long hair, but I guess 
that doesn't work for alcohol. It can be useful. I would say it's only useful qualitatively and like mm. especially in the maybe the identification of a person after death to be like you've been doing drugs that's actually a very racist way to go about drug testing because it shows up in larger amounts in darker hair and mm. <laughs> yeah it goes away with color treated and bleached hair uh-huh what right Dude, yeah i straight this oh i'm so pissed right now because there was a girl who also got drug tests with her hair and that bitch bleached her hair and i said i don't think that's fair she didn't even look good as blonde she didn't even fucking look good that was the real crime <laughs> your crimes against fashion yeah anyhow back to jordan and the antics he's getting up to in 1974 Jordan was sentenced to two years in prison for indecent assault in Prince George, and the prosecution wanted to declare him a dangerous sexual offender upon his release from prison in 1976, which I think would have been a great move, but this request was denied. Because what harm would come of calling him a sex offender? Right. I don't know about in Canada, but in America, you're supposed to be like, hi, I'm a sex offender and I'm moving into your neighborhood. Right. Like, that's a thing. And I get and... that that system is imperfect, but like, yes, these are the people that I believe we need some sort of system. And especially when we give such light sentences, like two mm. fucking years. Yeah. Two years. And he's a repeat offender. And I mean, I'm, I'm pro rehabilitation. Right. I want to make that very clear, mm -hmm. but he is really like making things hard as far as like wanting him in the circle of trust. And not long after his release, Jordan proved the prosecutors unfortunately correct when he kidnapped a woman from a mental institute and raped her. No. However, gets even worse. The courts found that his previous convictions were not relevant in deciding the punishment in this case, and Jordan was only sentenced to two years and two months in prison. You're fucking kidding. Like, what in the white privilege is this shit? <laughs> yeah. There's literally a record of, hey, this guy, he's a rapist. He's like, escalating. Yeah. Not only is he a rapist, but he's becoming a more dangerous rapist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's give him another chance. Right. Let's just little slap, little slap, slap on the wrist. Two years ain't shit, guys. After this stint in prison and his subsequent release, Jordan opened a barber shop on the east side of Vancouver, which, like I said, is or was not a very well-regarded part of the city. But he probably did that by design. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if he did it by design or if it's because it's all he could afford. But mm. I did see several sources that said that he liked to play the stock market. And oh. he actually invested, not necessarily smart, probably just lucky. And so he invested very luckily. And so he may have been able to pay for a better place. Mm. So I, I don't know who's to say, but this location did make it very easy for him to find victims. The first woman to die in his company during the period after he bought the barber shop was a woman named Mary Johnson who was found in a nearby hotel on November 30th, 1980 with a blood alcohol content of 0.34. Barbara Paul was also found in a nearby hotel September 11th, 1981 with a BAC of 0.41. A 29-year-old woman named Mary Johns was found face down on a foam mattress inside Jordan's barbershop oh. on July 30th, 1982, with a BAC of 0. 0.76. 
Yeah. That's a lot. Yes. Her family, whom she had grown distant from after the crib death of her first baby, wouldn't find out about her death until locating a newspaper clipping about her death in 1988. Oh, my gosh. They didn't even know. They didn't know. And I feel like that is the case for a lot of these women is perhaps they were down on their luck, addicted to drugs. I know that Mary Johns, she did have some drug addiction. After the death of her child, she was not holding up well. I'm not coming after Mary. Like, that's some hard shit that most people don't have to deal with. Yeah. If you didn't turn to the bottle or drugs, like, are you even living? And I feel like anybody who's willing to hang out with Jordan during this time is probably not living their best life at the moment. They're they're making choices that are very much seeming like they're doing the best they can with what they had. I don't think that a whole lot of people had friends or family that would say, I haven't seen them around in a while and would notice if they disappeared. These names that we have might not be their legal names that their families could identify them by. Right. And the other thing, too, is like, are we going to talk about the fact that one of them died in his shop? Oh, not just one. She was just the first. So, Oh, good. Patricia Thomas was also found dead in Jordan's shop on December 15th. 1984 with a BAC of 0.51 and the next year Patricia Andrew was found dead in Jordan's shop on June 28th with a BAC of 0.79. Why? She wouldn't be his last victim either. She was just the last victim that can be accounted for who actually died inside his shop. There was a sixth victim during this time frame that along with these other women her death went uninvestigated. Vera Harry was found at a local hotel on November 19th, 1986 with the BAC of 0.04, which maybe sounds like it doesn't quite fit the pattern, but I think that she was either known to associate with Jordan. I mean, maybe she was like hella wasted and then maybe part of his pattern as he evolves, whatever the, I don't like, uh, he's not evolved. I don't, I don't like it when they use that word. Yeah. Cause he's when not, evolved. Talking, he's like devolving. He's right. Right. Anyway, like, she could have been hella wasted earlier, but Mm -hmm. he, when he's devolving more, like, kept her alive longer, and so she metabolized it. Like, we don't know. Right. I don't don't know if she, like, asphyxiated on her own vomit. I also know that he would... He would pay these women to have sex with him. And that's usually how we got them alone was I'll pay you to have sex. And none of these women, I will say, identified as sex workers. And the police were just saying that they were. But none of them identified that way. So maybe it's just that they didn't often do this or that's not how they identified. They were down on their luck. They're down on their luck because, like, I've known people who have performed sexual favors Mm -hmm. for a substance, alcohol, drugs, whatever. And the handful of people I'm thinking of, none of them identified as sex workers. Exactly. It was just a like, I need to get drunk. He's willing to pay them $50 and he's going to provide the alcohol. Like they don't identify that way. They get written off that way. But my point with it was perhaps he did something to her before she was as drunk as the rest. Mm. some sort of sexual act some sort of something happened and i don't know maybe she suffocated or I don't know. maybe I... things just got weird and before he even got her drunk and then he instead of it being later that he killed her he just killed her too fast i i have no idea because there was so little information i could find on these like usually i can find pretty good newspaper articles from the time but i couldn't find a whole lot of photocopied articles i couldn't find a whole lot of archived articles that had the specifics for these women so i wish that i had more information 
but I just don't. All I have is their names and their blood alcohol content at time of death. I just want to know how the fuck did he have more than one person die in his business? I have no idea. From an alcohol overdose. Like, again, what in the white privilege is this shit? And again, these women were just written off for their deaths because they were on the east side of Vancouver. They were classified as sex workers by the police and they were classified as alcoholics by the police. Open shut case. Yeah. And by open and shut, you mean... They looked at it and then shut it. They right. didn't they didn't investigate it. And and so that's the thing where where I really feel like maybe if they were only a sex worker or maybe if they were only an indigenous person, but the fact that they put those two together, there was zero percent chance that the cops gave a fuck about yeah. this. I mean, and it's it's apparent. Tell me that these cops cared when this is happening more than once in yeah. somebody's business. Like You're going to tell me I'm wrong? (laughs) You're going to look at me and tell me that I'm wrong? Wrong? (laughs) I'm not. You're you're totally right. (laughs) So interestingly, though, I mean, we get to see a lot of quantifiable data. These women, they were drunk AF. Yes. And blacked out AF. Do we know if the alcohol killed them or did he kill them in some other way? while they had very high alcohol content. So from what I have gathered, he poisoned them to death with alcohol. Gotcha. So alcohol was the murder weapon. Yes. So what is that like? You basically just stop breathing? Acute intoxication from alcohol and fatally acute intoxication starts out the same way any night of binge drinking might where you go through all those steps, you go through everything we talked about, and then you end up with the respiratory depression and heart failure. But on Mm. the way, you could have nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, everything happening gastrointestinally. You can actually have hypoglycemia, which I suppose that I did know could happen, but it's not one that we often talk about with this hypoglycemia. And so you end up with a lowered blood sugar because of the alcohol that you're taking in. You can also actually end up with hypokalemia, which is lowered potassium, and you can end up deficient in thiamine. These are things that are necessary. And so if you're a chronic drinker, Mm -hmm. I could see this being problematic. Totally, totally. But it can even happen in acute settings. You can end up being hypoglycemic. Mm. You can end up with a condition known as holiday heart, which I didn't realize you could get. Oh, so it's when you take a holiday and you end up binge drinking and you have a new onset arrhythmia that shows up as a result of it. And then oh. it, can, it can go away. But if you continue to drink, it's going it to won't lead. go away. Yeah, it, it could lead to heart failure. You can also have behavior changes that lead to suicidal ideation or action, decreased liver function, respiratory depression, coma death. Also, friendly reminder, mixing prescription drugs and alcohol, bad time, guys. Yeah. Bad time, just on the whole. And I, there are medications that it's worse with yes. than others for sure. Like, for example, if you're taking your sleeping pills oh. and washing it down with some wine, bad combo. Yep. Don't do that. Yeah. Opioids. And drinking, bad combo. Any depressants. Right. And it's almost, would you go as far to say that it kind of exponentially not increases the chances of death? Not necessarily, but it does make it much more likely that you will end up with that respiratory depression if you're taking a downer, which is not me saying you should take uppers because if you take cocaine and alcohol, it creates a compound called cocaethylene, which is actually more cardiotoxic than cocaine on its own. What? Yes. 
Are we ever going to do an episode about cocaine? Oh, yeah, certainly. Definitely. Okay. <laughs> I, well, I, oh, yeah. But, but also, I didn't know that. Yeah, most people don't. But yeah, that maybe we'll have to test the TikTok gods and see if I can talk about that without getting us another violation from community guidelines. No, Yeah. Venus had to take a quick break from TikTok. And so some of you may have noticed that I was the one running the page <laughs> and I got us two community guideline violations. I will test it and see about a video about the coca ethylene because that's interesting. Mm -hmm. So don't drink and don't do lines of coke. Yes, I one or say, the other, guys. One or the other. If you have vices, if you have, to, if you yes, yes. well, don't mix. That's yeah. So the, the whole point was, don't mix prescription drugs and alcohol. Don't mix other drugs and alcohol. It doesn't play well with others. Yeah. It doesn't like pick a lane and stay in it. <laughs> All right. Okay. Is this a common thing that happens, like overdosing on alcohol? Oh yeah. Yeah, really? I would say that there are a lot of cases you get that are clearly just a night of binge drinking because mm. alcohol, like not mixing with prescription drugs, also doesn't mix well with mental illness. Mm. Yes. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I would say that's where a lot of it comes from. Maybe gotcha. they aren't intending to die. And I don't I don't have every single case I've ever done memorized in my head because we actually had to do alcohol testings on every case because that's kind of where we started and gotcha. so everybody got an alcohol test whether you were eight or 83 you got one i don't know that every single case where it was obvious that the person was just fucking hammered you know if it was called accidental or suicidal like the the medical examiners i worked with did take into consideration case history if it was available to them there were a lot of cases of really high levels of alcohol at death and we had a lot of cases where it was just obvious that chronic alcoholism led to the death and so maybe they didn't die with a whole lot of alcohol in their system but ultimately but it, was... it was a contributing factor to their death right because i mean that'd be like saying like well they died from cirrhosis mm -hmm. But it's like that is a byproduct of alcoholism, as far as I know. I could be wrong, but there's, I mean, are there cases of cirrhosis outside of alcoholism? Like, I think they exist, but not. I think they exist, but it's kind of like getting lung cancer when you've never smoked. Right. Like, yeah, they might have died, but just on the whole, like, it's really, it's poisonous to your body. Even when you have it in small amounts, it's poison. Yeah. Yeah, and I think we forget that. I mean, that's why bartenders say, pick your poison. Hey. They, they're not joking. <laughs> yeah. Let's say that you were born in the early 80s now. Okay. And you were, well, you were born in the 50s, let's say. Okay. And you were working in Canada's toxicology office. Would you have seen these numbers come in over a couple of years and mm -hmm. think anything suspicious was going on as the toxicologist yes if i was working there for this is over five years so as the toxicologist i might not have the information to be like huh they were with the same guy every time mm, that's weird. right the ones in the barber shop i might be like what is going on in this, in this barber, barber shop. shop yeah right but like the numbers i don't necessarily know that that would be noteworthy for one per year i don't think it would necessarily be noteworthy gotcha and yeah. i mean i want to understand where they were coming from 
if it didn't look as suspicious as we see it, because I mean, I'm sitting here and we're talking about nothing but this. So it's easy for me to say they should have seen this. I think given his history of violence towards women and violence towards indigenous women in particular, that they should have been doing their due diligence with the sex workers of the community and said, hey, who was Vera last seen with? Hey, who was Mary Johnson last seen with? And if every right. time they ask, they keep ending up at this guy for six and possibly more, I'll get to it later, but possibly more than just these six. And there's three that died in his barber shop. Like, what are we doing here? What I have a problem with is the fact that they failed to make him register as a dangerous mm -hmm. offender, mm -hmm. as a sex offender, so that the community would know that this was a thing. And at minimum, at minimum, law enforcement should know. Like, let's give them a pass on him not having to register and inform the community that he's a dangerous offender. Mm -hmm. The cops should be on the case enough. I mean, when cops go, oh, yeah, we know Mr. Jordan. He's a fucking mess. They should be the ones to know, like, oh, somebody died in Mr. Jordan's business. Again. Again. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, that's where I, I can't give them a pass on this one, like at all. Like this could have been stopped so much earlier. Yeah. And so tell me more about this possibility of even more. <laughs> well, so I can't get to that right away. But what I can Fine. tell you is that a white woman had to die for people to take notice. Vanessa Buckner was 27 years old when Jordan himself called for emergency services to respond to the Niagara Hotel in the downtown east side of Vancouver. Earlier that night, Jordan offered Buckner $50 to have sex with him, and then he was seen coming and going from the hotel several times. The last time he left was at 6 in the morning without Buckner, and soon thereafter, an anonymous call was placed which stated that the police would find a dead sex worker in Buckner's room. When the police arrived, Buckner was found naked with a BAC of 0.91, <gasps> which her family found suspicious because she was not a heavy drinker. That's Mike Malloy levels. Like, that's the only person that I can think of. And it probably got that high because she wasn't a heavy drinker. She didn't have uh, the metabolism for it. So she had none of those enzyme soldiers to, to no. help her get rid of it. Oh, right. God. Okay. So, her family pressed the police to investigate, and the anonymous call that reported Buckner's death was eventually tracked to the room where Jordan lived at the Marble Arch Hotel. Mm. So at this point, the police didn't have enough information to charge Jordan, but they began surveillance of him. Well, better late than never? I guess. Between October 12th and November 26th, the police watched him stalk the red light district of Vancouver, and on November 20th, Jordan picked up Rosemary Wilson and took her to the Balmoral Hotel. Police intervened before Jordan could kill Wilson, but not before he got her BAC up to 0.52. What are we doing here? Yeah, seriously. What, like, what kind of police surveillance is this? They're literally dicking around and like, oh shit, wait, we were doing a job. Oh my god. Police also allowed him to pick up three more women and get them drunk. Verna Chartrand had a BAC of 0.43, and Mabel Olson and Sheila Joe were also picked up, but their BACs are unreported, so I don't know what happened to them. I just know that he picked them up and he got them drunk. Like, four women in the course of this surveillance? What the actual what fuck? This goes up there with, like, you're gonna tell me that the police are top-notch? 
when two white passing women with a podcast could figure this out. (laughs) Despite all of these interactions, they ended their police surveillance of Jordan. And to no one's surprise, Jordan killed another woman on November 29th. She was an indigenous woman named Edna Shade, and her body was found at the Glenard Hotel with a BAC of 0.77. Jordan's fingerprints were found on the glasses and the bottle of vodka in the room, which proved he was present and likely the last person to see her before her death. However, he was never charged with her murder. What the fuck? I know. It literally doesn't get more open and shut than that. I know. What does he have to do, right? Like, Gilbert was here. I did it. And they'd probably be like, oh, you scamp. And then just let him go and then give him the key to the fucking city. Right? Like, that's what I'm waiting for at this point. They've literally given him a playground Mm -hmm. to kill indigenous women for fucking shits and giggles. Fuck this guy. So, so hard. Police placed Jordan under surveillance again, and 11 (laughs) days later, they rescued another woman from a possible death at his hands after they heard this infamous quote from Jordan. This quote is everywhere. Down the hatch, baby. 20 bucks if you can drink it down. See if you're a real woman. You want another drink? I'll give you 50 bucks if you can take it. Oh, my. No. So... The police interrupted this interaction right as Jordan was trying to force more vodka down the woman's throat. And perhaps they would not have figured out or admitted to themselves that this is how he killed other victims with astronomically high BAC levels had they not found him in the act. I literally don't know how we even got to him having more victims. Like, During surveillance, all of these women that he's getting drunk and they just kept letting it happen. I know. It's like, no, the the point with surveillance isn't to like wait until you see him get stabby stabby and then go, oh my goodness, he's the killer. It's breaking my brain a little bit, honestly. Despite the many women whose deaths could be tied to Jordan, possibly as many as 10, and we've only covered eight here, possibly as many as 10, probably more than that. Jordan was only ever convicted of the murder of Vanessa Buckner. The white woman. The white woman. But tell me again how race doesn't play into things. Right. You and I are just playing the race card in this conversation. Yeah. 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 Get fucked. I'm sorry, Vanessa Buckner. But like, but seriously, that is reprehensible. And did Edna Shade have to die? Right. Edna Shade did not have to die. Literally. I'm sorry, but everybody after the Marys didn't need to die. And I'm sorry, Mary, you didn't need to die either. But I mean, there weren't other murders in this guy's place of business before. Jordan was 56 years old in 1988 when his trial for second degree murder began. Rather than this conviction, however, Jordan was found guilty of the lesser charge of manslaughter and sentenced to 15 years. In yet another miscarriage of justice, he appealed his sentence and got it reduced to nine, but only ended up serving six. He served less time than one year for each of the victims that we know about. Mm -hmm. Because if we know about 10 of them, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that there's more. Yeah. Because if these were fucking missed, there were obviously others missed. He served less time than one year for each person he killed. Mm-hmm. I hate it here. I hate it here. <laughs> I think this might be why we don't cover serial killers often. 
it's so infuriating to just hear more tragedies involving indigenous people. Yeah. Following his release from prison in 1994, Jordan continued to find himself in and out of jail for breaking his probation. Surprise. Jordan was not allowed to consume alcohol or be with women anywhere that alcohol was present, but Jordan could not handle himself. In 2000, Jordan was charged with two counts of assault, two counts of sexual assault, and one count of administering a noxious substance to a woman in June, and in August, he broke probation by buying a bottle of wine. That same year, he attempted to change his name to Paul Pierce because at the time, British Columbia did not require fingerprinting for a name change, and Jordan could have continued to live under a name not associated with the rapes and murders that he had committed. Nice. Once it became known to authorities that Jordan was planning to change his name, they changed the fingerprinting requirement and Jordan did not pursue the name change further. Well, in one little iota of justice. <laughs> Thank you, Canada. In 2004, Ugh. he was also missing for two days after boarding a flight from Victoria to Calgary via Vancouver, but was never confirmed as having gotten off in Victoria. He was eventually found in Winnipeg and put in jail again, briefly for breaking probation again i am not surprised at, at all i just like, don't understand why he's getting so many passes he, i know but there are people in states that have legal cannabis who are in jail for possession you right. know what i'm saying like that shit's happening but yet this guy gets to literally rape and murder almost as much as his little heart desires Jordan finally died in 2006 of liver cirrhosis at the age of 75. It's not hard to imagine that more women were victimized, perhaps even killed, by Jordan once he was out of prison. By his own estimation, he was with 200 women a year, paying them for sex and to drink beyond their capacity for alcohol. The Supreme Court of Canada ruled that Jordan, quote, preyed upon Native women for his sexual gratification, and he, quote, got some kind of perverted satisfaction in watching these women drink themselves into insensibility. So what you were saying that there are probably more women, I have absolutely no doubt that there were more women. There were probably hundreds of women. Probably. And they were identified as sex workers or they were indigenous and they were just, I don't want to dismiss it and say they were just another one of the countless missing and murdered indigenous women, but... There's a reason that we have to have this grouping of missing and murdered indigenous women. And it's because the cops don't seem to care. They don't care. They don't care. It's underreported. They're underinvestigated. They do not get to find out what justice is. No. And not only do they not get justice, but they literally just get to be abused and killed again. Mm -hmm. Because while I'd like to imagine that things are better now, like this was back in the 80s, I'd like to imagine things are better, but there are still shitty rapists and mm -hmm. killers out there, unfortunately. And he was and, out in 2000. And I know that was right. 20 years ago, but like, have things improved in 20 years? How were no. things back then? How many women was he victimizing back then? Right. This isn't something that is better. Like. No. There could be another douchey Jordan out there, and he's out there killing and raping as much as he wants. As long as he, as see, he fucked up when he messed with the white woman. The white woman, yeah. Like, that's where he fucked up. It's so upsetting that that is what finally, what finally brought it to an end. 
And that's the only thing he got charged for. Right. And I'm sure it's not better because missing and murdered indigenous women still go without reporting, despite the fact that they're murdered at a rate of 10 times that of all other ethnicities in the United States. And these are recent numbers. This is like as of 2016 numbers. So obviously it wasn't better 20 years ago, right? Right. Right. So murder is the third leading cause of death among indigenous women in the United States. And That's insane. there are 5,712 cases of missing American Indian and Alaskan Native women and girls reported to the National Crime Information Center in 2016, but there were only 116 in the U.S. Department of Justice database. Wow. So, like, what no. are we doing here? Again, yeah, what, what are, are we, we doing, doing here? What are we doing? In Canada specifically, the number of homicides among Aboriginal women has increased over the past several decades. Most homicides have decreased for all other ethnicities, but for Aboriginal women in particular, it has actually increased. And as a result, Aboriginal women account for an increasing proportion of homicide victims. So Mm. they accounted for 9% of all female homicide victims, all of them, all female homicide victims in Canada in 1980, 9%. In 2015, Aboriginal women alone accounted for 24% of female homicides. These numbers are insane. It's tragic. It's fucked up. I know it's something that you and I can't fix today, sadly. But I do think that you bringing this case to our, albeit small, (laughs) platform. Small but mighty. (laughs) Yeah, I like that. Thank you for that, at least. I think it's good to bring it up, too, when it's not like, oh, we're going to wear an orange shirt in October. Let's talk about the missing and murdered indigenous women. Right. Like, this is a problem all the time. This is this is never not been a problem. Yeah. This has never not been a problem. I think right now, until it is remarkably better, which seems sadly not on the horizon, per se, but I, I think that it's important to talk about it because I think that that's the only way that more people will learn about it and more people might feel even just a, a smidgen as passionately about it as, say, we do. So, you know, share the show, get mad. Yeah, and whatever. follow Indigenous creators. Like, thank you for yes. following us, but also go out and follow Indigenous creators. There are... I I don't know as much on Instagram just because I'm not there often as a consumer, Mm -hmm. but there are some amazing creators on TikTok. Highly recommend following them. Yeah. And just sharing their stories and helping uplift them when they're trying to share their Mm -hmm. uh, experiences. Diggity damn. Well, not a subtle start to season three. (laughs) Not subtle season three. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please like, follow, subscribe, and review us wherever you get your podcasts. For more Lethal Dose content, you can find us at Lethal Dose Pod on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. For an overdose of content, subscribe on Patreon for exclusive episodes and much more. The show theme is Look Far by our dear wizard friend Fogweaver. More of their music can be found on bandcamp.com. Lethal Dose is created, researched, produced, and edited by Kayla Woods and Venus Dineko. Stay safe, and remember, the dose makes the poison.